Rob Reynolds, I'll start with you, man. Why don't you introduce yourself and maybe share a little bit of your story? I you know, make me go first. Huh? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm Rob Reynolds. I'm from originally from Martinsburg, West Virginia. Uh, currently reside in Romney, West Virginia. Um, but I grew up on the streets with uh, parents that were addicts and alcoholics who pretty much did the best they could, you know, but uh, it was a lifestyle I grew up in by the time I was trying to make a long story short. By the time I was 16, I was dealing mass amounts of weed, getting into cocaine, drinking a lot. I didn't give up on sports and everything. Um, by the time I graduated, I barely did that, but I, I moved on to really doing cocaine a lot, uh, doing a lot of acid. Um, partying. Uh, my parents let everybody party at my house, so it was like everybody loved my house. It was senior skip day 24-7. So, of course, I had, you know, girls everywhere just all the time and thought I was the cool kid in school. Um, and then after I graduated, most of my friends graduated too, so they went on to Morgantown and different colleges, and so my, my connect was like, you're moving to Morgantown with them. Uh, cause all of our, all of our customers went there. So we moved to Morgan, I'm over to Morgantown for probably about six to nine months and severely became an alcoholic at that point. Like I just lived at the bar. Uh, and for some reason, that point I knew I had to get out of there or it was going to get really bad. So I moved back, um, just kept living the same lifestyle, but ended up meeting a woman, um, getting her pregnant. Lived together for two years and then decided to get married and figure we'd make it that long. We'd get married. Uh, never ever went to church except for, I think one time when I was five was the only time I really went and I heard the Daniel in the Lion's Den story at a, at a vacation Bible school. Thought it was pretty cool, but that's really all I ever got of the gospel growing up. But the woman that I married, her mom was a Christian. And so she would make us go on Christmas and Easter. I was one of the Christians that would show up you know on those two days but i remember being so I high yeah, i was so high and so <laughs> drunk that nobody but nobody came over and shared jesus with me they kind of left me sit in the corner and i didn't want to listen to the pastor but like nobody bothered to tell me there was an answer or that ain't you know and so i just felt like mm -hmm. i was treated like i was trashed by them and i never Never really wanted to go. Um, fast forward that, I got into a bunch of criminal activity. Can I, can I, can I interrupt real quick? Yeah, please. So isn't it, isn't it strange how the religious folks and the church folks, I mean, and that's one thing, and maybe it's changed a little bit in the last 10 years. But I know when we first started working in addiction, I mean, the religious folks just didn't know what to do with us as addicts. Like the church folks, you know, it was always like you know, they try. I know my experience, my family always told me, you go to church, go to church. It'll help change you. And then when I went to church with the track marks on the arms, yeah. like they didn't know what to do with me. <laughs> you know, and I, I kind of heard you say a little bit of that when you were talking about the Christer thing. You know, you showed up and it was like, like, OK, well, he's here now. Now what? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're lost. I mean, like, that was that way from that guy. <laughs> That was my experience, yeah. and I was married 10 years, so there was 20 opportunities at least. I don't think we really went maybe a wedding or something like that, but really it was two times a year I was there with an opportunity to hear the gospel. Like I said, I wasn't listening to the pastor by far. I was hungover and stinking and smelling and looked like you know straight hell, I'm sure. Um, but at any point, somebody could have said, said something to me or at least tried to share. Um, I mean, her mom was always nice to us, but she didn't. She didn't have the answer. You know, I mean, she never dealt with that stuff. So um, then by the time I got to 2004, I went and did some plumbing in 2000. I really, I went in and out of AA a lot and NA 
and at one point I wanted to get clean because we had a second kid and I thought I'm going to go down and do plumbing work in Virginia, Manassas area. And her, my wife's at the time, uncle was a, a, a Sunday school teacher and a deacon in a church. So I thought, well, maybe I'll go work with him and, and maybe that'll help. So again, I like thought that might be an option. And I went and I just remember he treated me worse than anybody had ever treated me in all my life. Like he cussed me out every day, told me I was stupid. I wasn't ever going to make And I had no idea what I was doing. So that didn't take long. I stayed there for years, but uh, ended up not being able to work with him within six months because it was just impossible. Uh, so that put another bad taste in my mouth for church. So I, I kept getting into criminal activity and, and hurt my back. I don't oxycontins. And all this time I was going through depression and all that. I got diagnosed bipolar, manic depressive, borderline paranoid, schizophrenic. I was taking all kinds of psych meds. I think by the time I went to prison, I was taking 500 milligrams of Seroquel twice a day, plus all the other stuff, plus abusing Oxycontins, plus pills and Coke and drinking and anything I could get my hands on. So I was like a garbage bag. And uh, by the time 2004 came, I remember always saying, I don't know if any of y'all did this, but I was like, well, at least I'm not that bad. <laughs> Anybody else do that in their addiction? <laughs> I did everything yeah. except shoot the needle and smoke crack until 2004. So for 14 years. I got nowhere to live, but at least I got a car. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's like I'm, I said, I'm working, I got a job, and at least I'm not shooting dope. So I was smoking, right. smoking it and snorting it, but as long as I wasn't shooting it, I thought I was somehow better than them. And the last three years, I just remember, I just give up. I just wanted to die. I did want to live, so then I started smoking crack, then I started shooting up heroin. Uh, I OD'd at least six times in the last three years and tried to. Like, I, I tried to go down to the river one day and purposely tried to overdose. I had some heroin, but I mainly had about uh, eight or ten Oxycontin 80s, a bunch of Percocets, a bunch of Valiums, a bunch of crack, and a bunch of beer, and did it all and didn't wake up for two days. And drove myself to the hospital just wanting to die. Um, that's, I think, when I finally went to a rehab. Didn't stay there long this time again and got out and uh, wound up getting three charges for robbery not too long after that. My last stint in 2007, uh, I robbed a, uh, the bar that my wife worked at. I ran out of that money and robbed a, a sheet store. I ran out of that money and then robbed a, a man at a convenience store. So I wound up with a 10-year flat prison sentence. In 2007, I did two years at the regional waiting to get to prison, and everybody kept trying to hand me a Bible and tell me about Jesus. And I, through my whole in and out of jails, I just remember thinking I didn't want him on the street. I for surely am not going to want him in prison when I just – and I'm down on my last luck, you know what I mean? And all the people that were trying to hand me a Bible was getting high with me on the street. So I was like, there's no way, you know? And, uh, but then I wound up going to prison and my daughter who was 12 at the time wrote me a, a letter. And finally she was the last person I had left. And she said, dad, when, when you get out, I'm done with you. Don't talk to me. Don't come around. Like, I don't even want your last name. Don't come to my wedding. I won't be at your funeral. Like you're dead to me. And that like, it made me realize I was becoming worse than my parents ever were. And I said, okay, I got to do something. So I put myself in a residential treatment program called RSAT in Huttonsville State Prison. And uh, the guy was a Christian that ran it, never knew that, didn't care about that really. Then I ran into Mark Cubble, who Justin's met, I think, and uh, Rocky Meadows. Yeah, Mark's a great guy. Yeah, and then Rocky Meadows has Lifehouse down in Huntington. 
those two were in the program with me and they were like leaders. And I just remember coming to them and saying, guys, I, I don't know how to do this, but I don't want to be an addict anymore and I need help. And they literally wrote me up every day, <laughs> held me accountable every day till I was tired of writing. Yeah. And they was telling me about Jesus and I really didn't want to hear it. They were doing devotions. And so I would listen to their devotions, but never really go. And then they said, Kyber's Prison Ministries is coming and they're going to serve good food for four days and you get all the cookies you want for free. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. What did you say? Good food and cookies? <laughs> cookies? <laughs> Sign me up. And for real, that's why I went. I went for cookies. And the first couple of days, the people was coming up. Huh? Yeah. Chocolate chip cookies. That's it. That's it. I Wasn't promise that- it. See, what? I'm right. Wasn't that the Lamp Biscuit song? <laughs> you did it all for the cookie. Yeah, I did it all. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> I'm so good. Oh, sorry. For real, no. But I, I'm really I like. I've, people's convinced me over the past eight or nine years to write a book, and I think it's going to be called Cookies of Christ because that's literally what got nice. me there. But I ended up, uh, I ended up going, and they was trying to hug me and love on me, and I didn't want to hear it. I just kept eating the cookies. But the third day that I was there, they asked us to write down everybody we needed to forgive and everybody needed to forgive us. And I didn't want to talk to them. So the more that I did this, they left me alone. So I took all day long and did it. And we went outside and they balled it up and we had to throw it in this burn barrel. And this Pastor Bob Farrar prayed. And it was the first time in my life that I felt anxiety and panic attacks leave. But I could breathe for once. I was like, ah. Oh. And like a weight come off and I started crying in front of 60 dudes in prison, which is not the coolest thing to do. And I remember blaming it on the fire. I'm like, oh, it's the smoke. But I felt something real. It's got onions. (laughs) And I said, uh, I went back to the cell because I was scared to death. I didn't know what it was. And I remember saying, God, if that's you, I want that. And uh, the next morning when I came in to the, the prison, that pastor was sitting there. And he said, man, I've been up all night praying for you. I feel like you want to talk to me. And I was like, yes, sir, I do. And he said, well, I got a scripture for you. And he gave me Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which meant nothing to me at the time. You know what I mean? Uh, it's now become one of my, my main verses all my life. Just trust him and get out of the way, pretty much. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I ended up walking in this chapel with him. And as soon as his little makeshift chapel with shower curtains. And as soon as I walked in, he never said a word. I know now what it was. Holy Spirit hit me and I just fell flat on my face and everything that I wrote on that paper and everything in me just started gushing out for like two hours. I cried and snotted and bawled on the floor till I was a mess. And then I stood up and I really couldn't see much. It was such a surreal encounter that I, I don't know. Only thing I can do is explain it to you. <laughs> I know I believe it and I know it was there. Like I stood up and, It was just this huge shining light on this side that I couldn't even look at. And then I looked down and I was still laying there dead. And I could breathe and I was free and everything was just so, I just never felt that way before. And I knew that all my addictions and everything was gone. Like I knew I met Jesus and that dude died and I couldn't explain that back then. I know now what it is, you know, and from that day, I never took a Seroquel. I never weaned off of nothing. I got radically delivered in that one encounter. I finished the program. I got out and went to, I waived my parole six months because I was up for parole, but I waived it to get into a Christian-based program. And I got in a place called House of Miracles. I went there and got discipled for a year. And that pastor 
freaked me out the first day because it was a Pentecostal prayer meeting and I had no idea what that stuff was. <laughs> right. Right. I'm thinking we're going to hold hands yeah. and, you know, oh, priest. Right. people was rolling on the floor, wailing, crying, screaming, and talking in tongues. And I'm like, uh oh, whoops, what did I get into? Send me back to prison tomorrow, please. Yeah, no, I tried Pastor came and asked me, said, You okay? I'm like, Absolutely not. Don't ask me to drink the Kool Aid. I'm done. And he's like, What? I was like, Send me on the bus to prison tomorrow. And he just so calmly said, I bought you a Bible. I want you to open it to Acts 2 and I want you to read it to me. And I read it. He said, now read it again. And I read it. And he said, son, all I can tell you is if you believe everything in here is for you, it's the absolute truth. You can walk in it. You can do it. Put your name on it and bank on God. You'll never go back to that lifestyle. And, you know, mm-hmm. I just remember thinking, I, I don't know how to do this thing. So I'm just going to trust you. And, man, ever since then, you know, I had no religious background to undo. I was just a brand new baby that said yes and believed every bit of it and ran by faith. It's been 12 years. That was November 20th, 2010 when I got saved in prison. I've never had a relapse, never went back, never went to AA, NA, none of that. You know, as Gerald Mayhem would say, not Shanae, AA, none of that. <laughs> I just I just got radically delivered and, and know I'm a son and been pursuing him ever since. Man, I had a recovery program, yeah. worked as a youth pastor for four years. Had a recovery program, Freedom House. It's actually right before, right when I met Justin, before I started Freedom House, I was speaking at Teen Challenge. He actually conned me into my first testimony. Actually, <laughs> he. Uh, I would never do such a thing. Yeah, he was because I was coming. Right. I was coming up to Teen Challenge and sharing with the guys on Sundays and having fun and loving it. I was okay with the one on one, but he's like, someday I'm gonna get you to share your testimony at chapel. I'm like, no, 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 no. Not happening. Yeah. And then like a couple of weeks later, he just put my name on there and he's like, Hey, you're doing, I'm like, no, no, Justin, I'm not. He said, you'll be all right. You'll be all right. I'm not going to be here. You go ahead. I'm like, no. Uh, but I did. And man, when I did, it just, I don't know, just unleashed something in me that I knew that the rest of my life, I was compelled to tell people my story and preach the gospel. Man. And uh, had the freedom yeah. house for four years. And now I have my own church. Uh, now, Freedom House has shut down, and now I just took a director's job at Cumberland Teen Challenge. Getting ready to start a teen challenge down there. Uh, man, I'm remarried. Nice. God's brought my kids back in my life. I've adopted two other kids. It's not supposed to happen with 17 felonies. You know what I mean? So I live yeah. I live in a new kingdom and a new person. Hey, thanks so much for watching this. If you enjoyed this story, please like and subscribe to the channel by clicking here, or you can catch another episode right over here. Have a great day.